Hello and welcome back to Surf Splendor. This is David Scales wishing you the happiest of New Year's. I'm actually recording this on New Year's Eve. So the odds are that by the time you're listening to it, it's actually 2017. I hope that Christmas went well for you. I hope that you got some waves. Since our last show, uh, Michelle Berez won the Pipe Masters. John John Florence won the Triple Crown. Jamie Mitchell won the Nazare Challenge. Um, in reference to the predictions that I made for the Pipe Masters, I was somewhat far off, not surprisingly. Um, it's a super difficult event to predict. The waves really never showed up. Rather than being kind of classic pipeline, people going left, the event ran in marginal conditions and mostly head-high rights at backdoor, hardly barreling, especially in the early rounds. It was more rippable, almost like... Um, lowers or something it actually looked super duper fun to surf not necessarily ideal for you know the um the final event of the season but the event was really just kind of a perfect representation for what the entire 2016 season was complete with the world champs being beaten by rookies um, pipe masters losing in early rounds and even a rookie making the final I predicted that Gabriel Medina would win the event over John John Florence in the final. Neither of those guys actually even made the final. I predicted that Keanu Asing would rise amidst the pressure to requalify. He didn't. He actually lost to eventual finalist Kanoa Igarashi. And Keanu actually subsequently got bumped off tour by losing in that round. I think it was round three, maybe. So Kanoa Igarashi, his result allowed him to actually double qualify, which made room for Ezekiel Lau to move up on the qualifying series rankings and qualify for the 2017 uh, championship tour. He's someone who I expect to really, really strive on the CT level more than he did on the QS level, and I think he'll outperform a lot of the guys who beat him on the QS this past year. Um, my other major misprediction for the Pipe Masters event was regarding Kelly Slater. I predicted a round five loss from Kelly. He actually made it two additional rounds into the semifinals where he lost to Kanoa Igarashi. So yes, the waves were mediocre. And yes, we all have to persevere and adjust to seeing our mighty heroes fall from grace. But it really still was a great event, and I'd argue that it was a great season just because the competition is more fierce than it's ever been. So while we want to see the most challenging waves, I think like Chopu was a great example of an event this year that was really challenging, really good surf, and that's where you see, I don't know, our heroes and kind of our most seasoned competitors, the world's best surfers. You know, that's where you see those guys shine. That's where you see Kelly Slater actually showcase his um, kind of next dimension level of surfing. He's on a different echelon in those types of waves, and we don't always get to see him tap into that. But when that when those conditions align, we get to see that next level of surfing that we all want to see, and that's what the, the World Tour is designed for. So even though we didn't get a lot of that this year, I don't know. I think that we saw an extra level of competition maybe that we that we haven't been able to see in previous years or that we get to see a little greater degree of each year. And so this is just, again, a further degree of it than we've seen in previous years. So um, 
you know, I really appreciate it, appreciated that about this season where there's more world title contenders now than there has been in previous years where maybe there was just Kelly and Andy vying for the title or Mick and Mick and Kelly for a couple of years or then Kelly and Gabriel Medina, you know. So now it's it's diversified where there's five or six guys going for the world title. And I think that that makes for really excited view, exciting viewing. So exciting times. Um, I think there's a lot to look forward to for 2017. And um, we actually looks like we now have a two month, a full two month hiatus from any major professional surf events in the start of the 2017 CT season. The rookie class, by the way, for that season, this upcoming season includes Connor O'Leary, Ethan Ewing, Frederico Marias, Joan Deru, Leonardo Fioravanti, Ian Govea, and the aforementioned Ezekiel Lau. We'll have much more on those guys in upcoming shows. Also, in late October 2016, we introduced a donation platform for listeners to support the podcast. I want to thank everyone who who has donated. We have been recommending that people contribute a $5 recurring monthly donation. Some people have mentioned that they attempted to do that, but they couldn't find the recurring option. I looked into it. There was, in fact, a problem, but it didn't exist for everyone. So I never fully resolved um what that problem was or why some people experienced and why others didn't. I myself went through the process of donating and sometimes I was able to see the recurring buttons. Sometimes I wasn't. Um, at any rate, I, I created a workaround. I've uh, embedded two different buttons on our website now. So there's w- one button that is a one-time donation button. And now there's a second button that is a subscription button. And the subscription button will allow you to automatically set up that monthly donation. Um, that goes a long way towards helping us produce this show and this content. Any amount, of course, is appreciated. I also wanted to say thanks for the kind notes that people have included with their donations. Uh, people have commented about how and why this podcast has served them. That's been really cool to see. Anyway, this has been really, this week has been my favorite time of year. I love Thanksgiving. I love Christmas. But The week in between Christmas and New Year's has quietly become really just my favorite week of the year. I feel like the world kind of slows down a bit. People have time off work, I guess. And so you're kind of able to ignore all of your obligations that perhaps cause anxiety through the rest of the year. It's been a real retrospective time for me, which I think almost always results in a feeling of gratitude and subsequently a feeling of joy, you know? And I feel a lot of optimism for 2017. So you could probably tell from listening to this show that I have a pretty decent lifestyle, living near the beach, surfing whenever there's waves, working a job that I enjoy. I have creative outlets like this podcast, and I have time uh, like this just for retrospection and the luxury to make adjustments that I want to make in order to live the life that I want to live. And so uh, I've got it pretty good. It's all good in the hood. And this podcast has actually been a really enjoyable project for me as well. Kind of the best kind of project where the reward isn't free. You know, the, the reward of this show isn't gifted to me. It actually comes from a lot of hard work. And uh, it's really gratifying to see this show grow and receive feedback 
and to be able to build it and craft it in directions that I want to explore, you know? Um, And then I'm also able to make subtle adjustments with feedback from you, the listeners. Again, work just feels good. I like working. And so I have a lot of gratitude for being able to work on projects that I like. And again, being able to explore directions that I just want to explore creatively, you know? So that's been a really, really good thing for me. And I encourage you to find something in your life that uh, provides the same amount of fulfillment that this does for me. So anyway, enough of my monologue. Today's episode is Surf News with Scott Bass for December 30th, 2016. I'll pitch it over to our conversation, and then I'll be back at the end of the show to sign us off. Enjoy. Guy, yeah, freaking guy. It is the last day of 2016. You're listening to Down the Line Surf Podcast. News notes, parking lot fodder from the surf world with an emphasis on lighthearted banter. It's surfing, not Syria. David Lee Scales, Scott Bass. Welcome, David. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for the introduction. Did you actually write that down or is that no, free, no, that's off the cuff? Off the cuff. Impressive. Yes. Dude, you must have had your morning coffee or something. Tea. I've switched to tea. I I've saw be- that, actually. become a tea snob. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Is it because of the caffeine or why'd you switch? Mostly because my wife said, hey, let's think about drinking tea because tea's got caffeine in it. Sure. So it's more about there's a you can drink tea throughout the day without getting the coffee up and down, like the big high and the big low, you know? Yeah. I learned a lot about Starbucks. Apparently, Starbucks sprays their coffee beans with extra caffeine and- it's in the ingredients, but it's like a number. Hmm. It's like this FD, FDC, yeah, FDA number. You never want to see a number in your ingredient list. No. It's a, and, and so anyway, um, point is, is that tea's got antioxidants. Tea's actually good for you. Mm-hmm. And there's different levels of tea that have different levels of caffeine. So like an Earl Grey black English morning tea has got about 90% of what a cup of coffee has. And it kind of seeps out through your system a little slower. And then you can go to like an oolong tea, which has got about 60% of the caffeine. And then later in the day, you can go to a green tea or a white tea, which has got about 20% of the caffeine. And then you can end your day with an herbal tea, which has no caffeine. So you can drink tea throughout the day and get benefits. So there's a lot of health benefits in tea. Yeah. And there's a lot of interesting history. about. I mean, oh, yeah. the world economy revolved around tea and still does in yeah. some places. So yeah, anyway, I'm, I do still drink one cup of coffee in the morning oh, because do. I love coffee. Yeah, yeah. But it's not an all-day affair like it could be at cer- on certain days. And so now – Well, we're on the same program, dude. Because really? Yeah. I mean, I've never had more than one cup a day of coffee, but I'm a big tea drinker as well. I have all sorts of different devices for brewing, and I'm into it. Do you and, have you have a steeper – I did well. Yeah, I yeah, have, I have a steeper. I have loose leaf like contraptions. Yeah, I have a loose leaf contraption. Yeah, and when I pour the hot water into the loose leaf contraption, then I can put the contraption on top of my mug, and it drains down and presses the leaf. The Tivana one, right? I yes, have the same exact one. The Tivana, I guess, was purchased by Starbucks. Yes, that's right. And Starbucks buried Tivana, more yeah. or less. I think you can still get stuff online, but okay. There's a place in San Diego called the Tea Gallery, and he's the wholesaler 
of all the most of the teas in San Diego and oh, wow. maybe even in Southern California. And he's an English guy. He's got an int- interesting history. He, he worked for Aston Martin forever, but his family was in the tea industry. And eventually he came back to the tea industry and, okay. and he's uh, quite well, informative. Good. I'm glad to see that, dude. I, I really enjoy it. And uh, we have some more to talk about now other than just surfing and making fun of each other's hair. Hey, <laughs> I, I'm going to propose something to you. Yes. Um, this is a... It's the last day of 2016. Tomorrow is, actually. Really? I thought it was today. Today's the 30th. Oh, okay. Well, Tomorrow's New Year's Eve. I have the 30th. I thought the 30th was the last day. <laughs> I get an extra day how of many, life. How many years have you been doing this? Uh, <laughs> fairly <laughs> enough so that I'm starting to forget. So check it out. I'm going to propose something. This is a first-time proposal. Scott, want to surf together on January 1st. I asked for you to surf with me yesterday. It was it would have been such a good day. And you're yeah. like, no, I got to work. Yeah, exactly. I have to work. That's a legitimate excuse. You're asking me to surf on a random Thursday okay. midday. I'm with you. Okay, so, so check, to get back to your thing, go ahead. Check it out. My aunt and uncle recently moved to Del Mar. Oh, cool. And I'm spending New Year's Eve with them. Okay. I'll be around New Year's morning. Sunday? Is that Sunday? Yeah. New Year's morning will be Sunday morning. Yeah. yeah. So I'll text you Sunday morning. If you want to shred, let's do it. Yeah, we should definitely shred. It's going to be chilly as all hell. Okay. I got my new need wetsuit and my booties. Okay, you're good. <laughs> um, so anyway, Sunday could be good. It's probably going to be good. It okay, could cool. be a little bit dirty water, but that never stops me if the waves are good. And it'll be crowded because it's Sunday and New Year's Day. Right. So, But I'm down. Okay, good. Like, I'm bringing my stuff. So. Good. We'll surf for sure. It'll be fun. In fact, Kick off we should maybe suggest to readers that... Do we want to tell them where we may surf? Or no. Just, oh, hell no. No. I don't want it more crowded. Wow. We, self-centered fear just occupying your headspace. All the time. That's where I <laughs> live. Speaking of which, this is a great segue. Self-centered okay. fear. Got I've got something I'm going to read. I'd like you to hold commentary until afterwards. So, okay. Got is it. that okay? Yeah. Or do you want to do an email? No, no, no. No, please. I cut off hipstergram icon. Hipstergram icon is a person. Okay. We're going to make him anonymous. I'm going to call him Hipstergram icon. Is Graham his middle name? No. Oh. I cut off in Hipstergram icon. It was a perfect wave on a perfect day. Santa Ana winds groomed a legitimate six-foot November groundswell. Nary a drop out of water, yada, yada, yada. I had just ridden a perfect wave, David, and paddled myself outside, but not quite as deep as Hipstergram icon. The perfect wave came, long, tapering, and setting up on the outside reef. I put my head down and started digging deep into the 12 to 15 mile per hour offshore winds. I wanted the wave more so out of carnal lust, like an addict's demand for another spoonful, than a sense of retaliation. But upon realizing hipstergram icon was in the perfect spot, I rationalized my action as retaliation. Retaliation was my way out. The madness that was playing out in my head, ego and judgment, both resting solidly on self-centered fear, masking cleverly as entitlement. What happened was wrong. I was wrong. Yes, I cut off hipstergram icon. I dropped in on hipstergram icon after hipstergram icon had previously dropped in on me. Deep down in my heart, when reflecting on my action, it wasn't right. Two wrongs, yada, yada, yada. Herein lies the dilemma. I've done this too many times, David. I want to grow up. I want to stop dropping in on people. 
My life on land is different. I look upon my fellow man, you, David, with empathy, love, kindness. I try to live with a sense of humility. If a driver cuts me off on the road, I don't retaliate. I simply imagine they have a great reason for hurrying, probably delivering a baby, I'll say to myself. On land, my outlook is tolerance. Of course, I often fall short, probably more often than not, but I'm eagerly trying, sanding the rough edges off a self-centered pathos. It isn't easy. But once I reach the beach parking lot and the decision to paddle out has been made, some sort of super ego is triggered, a collision of who I am with who I really am. All of the personal progress thrown out with the dog poop. Mix in the completely incongruent, wishy-washy, misunderstood set of surfing social norms and forget about it. Mental chaos. My monkeys are scurrying on the hamster wheel at top speed. Rules. There are attempts. We've all seen the carved wooden signs telling us how, when, and where to surf with etiquette. Etiquette is a golf term. Surfing has no etiquette. Closest to the peak or surfer who's been waiting? No one really knows. Regardless, rules, norms, ideals, the sound, they sound good on wood, but not in the water. Isn't that part of surfing's allure, the Wild West, no rules? Although we have paid parking in Starbucks. Our culture holds on to this 1950s era beatnik motorcycle outlaw fringes of society image but then expects everyone to know and follow rules that are carved into a wooden sign. I prefer chaos. It'd be okay, I'd be okay with rules, David, if we all followed them. Our problem is that every surfer has his or her own set of individualistic set of rules. America, individualism. As an example, hipstergram icon cut me off, and I cut off hipstergram icon. The wave I cut off hipstergram icon on David was a much bigger, cleaner, and better wave than the one in which he cut me off. So according to his set of rules, he has a right to be more pissed off. His wave was better. Big wave, small wave. Am I not allowed to retaliate? Retaliation is behavior that was taught to me by my elders and peers, despite all of the wooden signs. Some of you might be suggesting, yeah, you know what? You have the right to retaliate, and some would disagree. Who is right? Nothing is clear and concrete in surfing. Even my retaliation excuse is skewed with and filled with gray matter. It, it was justification for wave lust. Oh, by the way, hipstergram icon had been waiting 10 minutes for that wave. I had been waiting 39 years. See, I'm a sicko. Wow. So we bark, scream, and make hand gesticulations at each other like silly mimes in an aquatic Woody Allen film. Did I mention hipstergram icon and I are middle-aged men? Inner-city basketball courts have an understood system of social norms. Who picks the teams? Whose voice is recognized as the leader? There's a hierarchy based on meritocracy. If you're a legitimate baller, you have clout on the court. If, during a game, player A strips the ball from player B and drives the length of the court and slams it home, player A is rewarded with two points and probably some ooing and aahing from the witnesses. Player B looks to retaliate when and if the time is right. Player B certainly wants justice, and he, he may or may not get his chance to adjudicate. Nevertheless, it's part of the game, and all the players understand it and have agreed to it. The boundaries of fair play are clear. No boundaries in surfing, no perimeter lines where a general set of worldwide rules are clear, understood, and second nature. No one really knows what the other person is thinking in the water. 
Here's what I do know. My actions in that moment do not represent my value system, who I am or who I'm striving to become. And what good are values if they aren't put into action? They're no good. No good at all. Just words. And the spirit of the universe honors action. That's my soliloquy. That was intense, dude. Have I bored the living hell out of us? No. Perhaps. I'm inspired, actually. But there's so much to discuss. I, um, I had bullet points in my head that I lost track of throughout it all. <laughs> You're busy it with It went your... on a lot longer than I expected. <laughs> I know. It um, might have been too long. No, it wasn't It wasn't too long at all, actually. And I fully agree. But did that actually happen? Yes. Okay. okay. I mean, I, I'm sure it happens all the time, actually. It's not just one incident. <laughs> not just with you, with all of us. Thanks a lot, man. No, seriously. No, no, it's true. You know, I'm trying to... But... There's a there's a dilemma between my life on land and my life in the water. But I I'm not I guess where I, I guess where I differ is I'm not sure I want to abandon the animalistic superego that you're talking about. Like I'm totally okay with having those two separate lives and I I do think it serves a purpose in the lineup, but I do think there's also a meritocracy in the lineup that is similar to the basketball analogy that you talked about like it it's not that it only exists on the basketball court and it doesn't exist out there it's um less defined in the surf lineup but we all know it exists well i don't know if it's an it it's almost it's almost like a they for instance i brought up in my piece does the guy on the inside have the right of way always 100 percent of the time no matter what no exactly <laughs> right no. because there's weird moment there's you know, there's moments, if that was the case, then everyone could just back paddle everybody yeah. and go, hey, I'm on the inside. Right. What about the old guy that's been waiting 15 minutes that's been surfing there for a super long time? Yeah. Not or, necessarily me, but whoever it is. Or somebody who's sitting out farther in the lineup, they might be a little bit more on the shoulder, but they anticipate that wave came right to them. They're just swinging around into it. And then there's a guy sitting underneath them who's technically closer to the peak who spins at the last second. And screams. Therein lies the gray area. Therein lies the fact that there are no real norm sets. and uh, There's no set of rules that we all absolutely agree. Like the basketball court does have yeah. a very defined set of rules, which more or less 99.9% of the time they're understood. There's a and lot if they're of not, gray. a whistle blows and you get a foul. You're right, though. There's a lot of gray area. For Tons of gray area. Yeah. There's a lot of nuance, and you and I understand the nuance, but there is gray area. I interpret it a little bit differently than you do. And a lot of the gray area is simply a lack of communication. Totally. Like, you know, there can be gray area, and we continue to sort of manifest the gray area and prolong the gray area by not even communicating after a potential foul has taken place because yeah. nobody wants to be that guy. So did you get into an altercation with that guy? With hipstergram icon? Yeah. yeah. What, what words were exchanged? Oh, just, you know... Uh, you cut me off first, blah, 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 I'm, you know, payback's a bitch, blah, 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 you know, blah, 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 you know, just, I don't even remember, it was just minor Southern California barking without any yeah. bite to but back you, it up. But you did um, dig in your heels and argue. It's not Well, like- no, he, he came out to me first, because I was like, hey, you burn me, I'm going to burn you back. Totally. You know and so I mean? he came out, said something, but you did say, you told him what's up? Uh, well, so here's the thing. He and I are friends. Oh, like okay, we're, okay. we're acquaintances. I wouldn't say we're friends, but we're deeper than acquaintances. We're like acquaintances that can often have deep conversation on the beach, but we don't necessarily go out to lunch or anything no. like that. Sure. But, but I've known him forever. And he's indignant though that. Well, he's, he's a little bit younger than me. And I, you know, there was, there's a certain level of, I don't know, but yeah, he was mad. He was definitely mad. 
yeah. and is still mad. And oh, by the way, this he I found out the other day, which I think sort of led me to write this because I, I found out the other day that he has video of this wave and he's like holding it back. So I thought I'd get out in front of it by producing. I love it. I love it. I want to see the video. And he's a hipstagram icon, so it could very well come out on hipstagram. That is so funny. Um, is that his actual handle on Instagram? No, <laughs> no. I'm going to protect his anonymity out of respect for him because I do respect him and I don't want to drag yeah, yeah. him into this. You must have burned him on a good one, dude. It burned was a very good one. <laughs> and again, I didn't burn him out of retaliation initially. Like I used that as a backup. I was just You're gonna go carnally no lusting after another perfect way. Yeah. You know, and... And but you frankly, knew he had because it, it was yeah, I knew he had burned. So you, so yeah. as soon as he was like kind of paddled into the spot, and and it was one of those things where I was a little bit further out, but he was on the inside, but he'd been waiting. I just paddled out yeah, after yeah, a good. Yeah. It, I should not have gone. Yeah, I was in the wrong. And in okay. fact, I called him after the session because I was upset about it, and I said, "Hey, you're right. I was in the wrong. I shouldn't behave like that. That's not you know." I basically said what I just wrote here. Sure. And he got back to me and said, I understand, blah, blah, blah. You know, like we kind of yeah. like hugged it out more or less through text. But you know what? It's kind of, I, I can already feel what you're talking about where it's like, I'm going to feel bad and I'm going to apologize later, but it's worth it. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go on this wave because it's coming right to me. And it's well, I kicked it. out too. So I took oh, no. off, did a bottom turn and knew he was on my heels and I got out of the wave okay. and he rode the rest of the wave. But it, it, it was more that... I didn't even yield to him that he because he was obviously in the right spot yeah. at the right time. Like he, he couldn't have been better positioned, and I couldn't have been more on the shoulder. Got it. You know what I mean? Well, the other thing is um, being in your position in that scenario. Sometimes you can get them just to back out. Well, that's here. Here's you're, another you're showing intent. You get up, go, and you just figure he'll kick out. Well, that was part definitely going through my mind. And this was that day that it was super strong offshore. So guys that didn't have the right equipment, now he did. But but guys were paddling for waves and not getting it because if it just backs off a half a second and mm-hmm. that offshore wind holds them up, they don't get into it. Yeah. You know? And I was on a board that was getting me into everything. So you're just going to... So I'm yeah. digging and I'm thinking maybe he won't get it. Yeah. You know? And if he does, if he gets it, I'll kick out. And that's what I did. Yeah. There wasn't as much malice in my action as perhaps I made out to be, yeah. which is, I think, why I was sort of upset about it. Because I was like, dude, I just dropped in and kicked out. I wasn't sure if you were going to catch it. Yeah. That didn't fly with him. Right. And probably, should, he was, I think one of his things was, hey, give me some credit, dude. I know how to surf. I'm going to yeah. catch the wave. Yeah. Which is kind of true. Yeah. So last Thursday afternoon, I was driving home from work. It was like the day. Yeah, Thursday. A couple days before Christmas. Um it was so good, dude. Like the waves had been small for that two or three weeks straight. And then the swell filled in on Thursday on my way home from work. I got the phone call. It's like, dude, it's head high peaky and offshore. So had a blast, but I was in a similar scenario where this guy I've never seen out in the lineup before paddling for the best wave of the day. And I'm sitting into shore closer, but it's coming to me and I could spin and go on this thing like right behind him, basically almost like a back paddle. And so I didn't know who he was. I didn't know if he could surf, but he was paddling with intention to get it. He ultimately didn't get it, but I didn't realize that until I was just like a split second too late to actually go. And the best wave of the day just went unridden. And I came up from kind of a partial duck dive and just like looking at him like, what are you do- <laughs> like? 
Did you say? Did you say something? He didn't say anything, and I didn't actually say anything verbally. I just looked at him like with wide eyes, like, (laughs) "What the hell are you doing, dude?" Right. Like, don't paddle with intent if you're just gonna puss out. Like, which I think might have been kind of what happened because it was a little bit bigger, and I, you know, I don't know. Isn't it Murphy's law? If you would have spun and gone, he would have caught the wave. I swear that happens all the time. If you don't go for it, they don't catch it. But as soon as you go for it, all of a sudden they get an extra like degree of excitement or oomph, you know, to get. Paddling into it. I was late and deep, but I knew I could have made it. So, like, I kind of turned and I was just going to let it push me in, like, with like one paddle. But as I started to do that, I could see the nose of his board over my left shoulder, like, like he had caught the wave. So, at the very last second, I just switch into a duck dive and get out of there. And then I come up and he's right next to me. And I was just like, oh my God, oh my God, what are you like? (laughs) I tried everything to, like, stay out of your way and make the right decision. And then you don't even go. I was indignant, but. It's all kind of fascinating, right? Because a lot of it's based in in fear, in fear that we're not going to catch enough waves, that we're not going to get ours. You know, like you were, why were you bummed? You didn't, you, were you thinking, I mean, I know you were bummed because a wave, a great wave, wave went, of the day went unridden. Right. And so you were assuming that another great wave better than that one wasn't going to come through. It never did. I assume right, but you didn't know that. But you didn't know that. It was no, not right. it was contempt prior to investigation yeah. more or less. I got the next one in the set, but it was like not nearly as good. Um, and that was the best wave of the day at your spot. It you was sure. Well, so You're positive. it was because my but buddy was paddling out and he was tripping. He yeah. was like, "What was that?" But yes, I did have a good time. You're right. Nothing lost. Right. It was all gain. But I, I, um, what I was saying, kind of initially, right after your essay, was like. I like that a animal instinct still exists in us and I like feeding that animal and like it's okay. It there's something really raw and gratifying about that. Well, I do too, especially on the basketball court. Yeah. You know like like I'm okay with it except there's all these wishy-washy norms, you know, like we've got hipstergram yeah. groovy guy who's like got long flowing hair and drives a VW bus, but is all of a sudden super aggressive like he's playing in the NBA. Yeah. Or is he the groovy guy that, hey, what happened to the groovy thing, you know? And like it's just all very it's just so gray and just and it's getting more muddled because there's so many, you know, beginners, yeah. lack of a better phrase, kooks yeah. in the water that it's just who knows? Like I'm fine with Sport, going out and playing sport and being aggressive because that's what the norms of the sport suggest. Basketball, baseball, football, whatever. Cricket, you know, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Soccer, right? You play aggressively and everyone agrees that that's how you play. And there's a certain line that you can go to. And if you cross the line, you get a yellow card. Mm -hmm. But in surfing, you know, you, you want to feed that animalistic side of it, but... Are you doing so at the expense of somebody, you know, who, you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? I it's do. just, it's just frustrating. And then there's these wooden signs that are like paddle around the yeah. peak. I've always said, don't paddle on the shoulder, paddle through the white water. Yeah. There's a sign at Rincon that's like paddle around onto the shoulder. Well, that's where I'm going to be surfing. So yeah. I don't want you there. I want you to take your lumps through the white water. And, and uh, to your point, exactly. This is exactly what you're saying. You can't define it on a sign. No. Sometimes you paddle the shoulder. Sometimes you paddle the exactly. whitewash. Like it's always yeah. different. Exactly. Every single wave is different. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is a great conversation to be having on the end of 2016, looking at 2017. I've spent this last week in retrospection, actually deciding kind of how I want my life to be different, how I'm not living uh, the way that I want to be living in this year. And so I want to make adjustments moving forward. Cool. I'm glad that you're in 
Uh, retrospection, introspection? Yeah, both. That's cool. Both. Um, yeah, I am. Definitely. I enjoy this time of year for that reason. Scott, I'm going to completely detour right now. Good. Huge segue. And uh, just hand you this $100. Oh, my gosh. That's Bam. right. Look at this. Hold five. On. Let me take a picture of this. Five the Jacksons. We've got five Jacksons right here. Um, this is fascinating. I've won a bet. Why don't you tell the listeners while I take this picture? What happened? The listeners already know because I got a lot of shame on social. Um, that is awesome. So what happened was this bet was in reference to the Pipe Masters. Yeah. I bet that Kelly Slater would lose by round five and Scott bet that he would make it beyond round five. And guess what? Slater made the semifinals. David lost 100 bucks. But in my calculations, we're even because last year I took a hundred bucks off you for Bruce Irons losing in round two. That's true. Um, I can't believe I bet on Bruce Irons. What a mistake that was! <laughs> in hindsight, that was just <laughs> idiotic, and I feel like an idiot right now handing that money to you. So, uh, no, no, it's all. You know what? This type of thing goes back and forth. I'm sure I'll be handing you a hundred dollars next year at this time when I bet on Kanoa Igarashi to win. <laughs> well, um, so here's what irks me the most. I lost a hundred bucks to you. Yes. Even though my team beat you at Pipeline, and I finished fifth overall in the clubhouse. Fifth. You know where you finished, Scott? Two hundred and fifth. <laughs> and I still lost the hundred bucks. I'm oh, ripping my hair out. It, it does was, make it that much sweeter. Yeah, brutal, dude. Brutal. Oh my. So, anyways, our fantasy clubhouse is on. Um, it's actually fantasysurfer.com, and. There's 420 or something people in it. It was won by a guy who goes by Joe Turpel. Oh, really? It's, Joe? Oh, it's not, not, it's not actual Joe. Joe Turpel because I made that – I thought that it was for a period and then he emailed me and said that no, he's not. But Joe Turpel won the entire season. So we need to give a shout out to that dude. He actually emailed me and said that – um you know, like it might be interesting to for he and I to have a conversation on the air just to discuss fantasy. So I'm – going to take him up on that and we'll do that in preparation for next season cool um, but yeah great fantasy season overall i'm really thrilled with my fifth place finish actually I, i'm thrilled in the hundred dollars you gave me in my 205th place finish i'm so not thrilled with that so sight um so anyway uh do you want to segue that into the pipe masters do you did you watch it i did i watched it all of course yeah, yeah. i watched it i i <laughs> I sent you a text. I said, hey, check it out. Kelly's in the quarterfinals. I didn't reply. You, you, you kind of caught on. I, think. I didn't reply at I all. I thought you did reply. Did I? I think you sent me like a thumbs up or a thumbs down or something like that. Uh, might have been the other middle finger emoji that they just introduced. Oh, did they um, introduce one of those? Yeah, update your phone, dude. Oh, Come sorry. Um, yeah, so, you know, this Pipe Masters event, it's funny talking about it now because it feels like it was a week or two ago. It was a week or two ago, but we haven't discussed it on the show yet. Anyway, it was represent representative of the season at large in that it was lackluster, you know, like a really unexpected um, final, Kanoa Igarashi versus Michelle Perez. Michelle won the thing. The waves were kind of lackluster. It was super fun looking. It made it look like, by the way, I could get shacked at backdoor, you know, but it was like six foot and fun looking. Um, it wasn't life threatening at all. It was a really unexpected cast of characters that made it through the event. Um, you know, Kelly lost to Kano Igarashi. That was a shocker. John John lost to Michelle Perez. That was a shocker. Um, uh, Gabriel Medina, a two-time finalist, lost. I forget who he lost to, but it was just like really, really unexpected turn of events. 
Nevertheless, I enjoyed it. There was some really competitive heats. And like I said, the waves, while not life-threatening, actually looked fun and relatable. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So. Yeah, I was um, I was sort of blown away. I guess I've always known that Kanoa has competitive savvy. Like he knows how to surf the heat. Can he go out against the big dogs and then apply that knowledge and that savvy to, to a heat? Like it's one thing if, okay, you're in round two at Bell's against you know Miguel Pupo and yeah. somebody and and you're applying competitive understanding. Yeah. But to do it at pipe in the quarters and in the semis against big dogs and not be intimidated because a lot of times I imagine those guys can just stare you down and no matter how much competitive know-how you have perhaps you're not going to be at the top of your game based on intimidation. And I thought Kanoa really rose to the occasion really and it did. said a lot to me about this guy you know, when you look at rookies in that sophomore slump the following year, he seems like a guy that I would go, you know what? I don't think he's going to have a sophomore slump. I think he's a guy that that I didn't give enough credit to based oh. on what I saw at Pipeline. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And to your point, he was surfing against his idol, Kelly Slater, at Pipeline in the semifinal in his rookie year. So he's got a final berth on the line. He needed an 8-6 or something. He waited for that set for like 10 minutes, let waves go. Which is that savvy. That's exactly that, yeah. right. And then with a minute left or something, a wave came to him. He spun, went. It was the best wave of the heat, and he got an 8-8. Eight, eight. He needed an 8-6, and he surfed it to perfection or to the best that it could have been surfed. It's like that showed real brass tacks or brass whatever, you know? Balls. Yeah, exactly. So um, I, I felt the exact same way that you felt, and I've actually been – before Kanoa got on tour, I was saying, like, you know what? He'll put together two eights in every heat. Like, that's who Kanoa is, and that's what he does. And he's done it on the junior scene, so maybe we'll see it in the pro scene. But that is who he is and what he does. Now, I think that's the next coming of surfers. This new crop of surfers, Leonardo Fioravanti, for example, like, and Kanoa fits right in that. I think that is what we're going to see moving forward where – We've seen ridiculous talents like Felipe Toledo, John John Florence, Gabriel Medina, and we've seen competitive 
savvy guys. Nat Young, Ace Bucking. Yeah, exactly. So this is the next coming where it's like Kanoa actually has flair and like some excitement to his surfing. It's not purely robotic, but he also has this tactical strategic thing really, really dialed. Um, and I think physically he's going to kind of grow into some strength and stuff too. You know, yeah. I think he, I don't know, if, you know, what the plans are with him, but obviously he was about 18 or 19. So, I mean, by the time you're 22, you're going to put on some natural adult muscle, totally. which will be a good thing, I I think, especially if it's in his trunk. Yeah, you know? exactly. That's what we've seen with Chloe Andino. You well, know? I'm gra- glad you brought up Chloe Andino. Are you? Yeah. If you don't mind, I will segue into something about Chloe. Please. Well, First of all, there's three guys that I look at um, that are right now they're in that they're the the best surfers to not be world champions, right? And Jordy Smith leads that bunch. Jordy Smith needs to be a world champion, or he, in my eyes, he will have not lived up to his billing and his potential. Um, he showed a lot, and I think Jordy's kind of scary next year. I think Jordy could be a guy. He finished he, second this year, right? And, and he finished strong, obviously. Oh, yeah. And then the other two guys, who do you think the other two guys are that are... I'm going to guess Kolohe and Dino. Don't you agree that Kolohe is one of them? I mean, he's been on tour for like five or six years now. It's like if you're going to win a world title and you're this, the great American hope, which I think he is, although there's Kanoa. Yeah, no, it's arguable. And then the other one is... Not sure. Julian Wilson. Oh, Julian yeah. Wilson, yeah. been on tour. Yeah. Five, he's just like Kolohe. Like he's just... They're both kind of, a, you know, four years below Jordy. It's like, dude... Now's your time to shine. You can't say, I'm just trying to figure out the tour. You've been on tour. You've been around the world. This is your fifth or sixth or seventh year on tour. You're an incredible surfer. You've got everything it takes. They've All three of them have everything it takes except for one thing. And that's the mental capacity to be the number one surfer in the world. You know, like, what is that special thing, you know? It's, um, if we knew, you know. Well, I did a little breakdown of Chloe's deal here. So... Interesting. Chloe did really well at the first event of the year and the last event of the year. Quicksilver Pro and the Pipeline Masters. What happens between those events is, in my mind, is as much mental as it is physical. And so I think that the prescription for him is, is could it be meditation? Could it be like positive reinforcement? You know, there's all sorts of... Oolong tea? Yes, oolong could definitely help out. You know, like stop the Starbucks, go to the oolong. Chloe and Dino had six quarterfinals or better. Right, those are what I consider keeper results. Six, four, yeah. there's eleven events. Six of them, he was in the quarters or better. Of those six, he won his round one heat in four of them. So he just skipped round two and went straight to round three. And so that's a that's a, a big um, something that he needs to look at is how do I avoid round two? Of his five throwaway results, round five or worse, what I consider throwaway results. Three of those were round two losses. So three of those five, he lost in round two. And he lost just barely by a tenth or two-tenths of a point in those losses. So round two is sort of his nemesis. If he can get out of those three events from round one straight into round three where he's proven that he goes he goes on. After he gets through round three, there's only one event where he just lost in round three. He, yeah. he, so round two is his nemesis. And I think that that's a, that's a, I think part of it is, is a psychological thing. Yeah, I agree. But I think it also might have to do with the waves. Like, there's definitely, how's he there's doing definitely big backside barreling reef breaks. Um, Chopu, he, 
got the quarterfinals. He lost Did to Ace really? Bucken by two points at Chopu. Okay. Tavarua, he lost in round two. Yeah. By a quarter of a point to Josh Kerr. I mean, I just, when I think of him as a surfer, I think of his strength as being, um, you know, right hand point breaks, um, lower. Well, Bells, he lost by a tenth of a point in yeah. round two. So here's the deal Quicksilver Pro, he made the finals. Bells, he lost by a tenth of a point in round two. Margaret River, he made the quarterfinals. Guess what? He skipped round two. The Rio Pro, he lost by a tenth of a point in round two to Matt Banning. Mm. Tavarua lost by a quarter of a point in round two to Josh Kerr. Jay Bay, he made it to round three, but he got smoked by Jordy Smith, which you could say is sort of an outlier. Chopu, quarterfinals, did well. Trestles, he lost in round five to Slater. France semifinals, Portugal semifinals, Pipeline semifinals, all of them he made it through round one. Well, you know, there's such a um, high level of surfers in the top kind of tier, those guys that you mentioned, and then throw in Gabriel Medina, John John Florence, Kelly Slater, Felipe Toledo, that are all contending for world titles now. That, I, I mean, I feel like Julian Wilson, it's hard to imagine him losing an event when you watch him surf. But there's just too mental. many. Yeah, yeah. These three guys have got just the mental barriers all that needs to be broken for these guys, for one of them to shine. I think Kaloe can get it done. Yeah. And I think... So Kaloe's your pick out of those three. Well, actually, Jordy... I mean, I wouldn't be surprised by any of them. I think they all have the mental capacity. I Actually, the strongest mentally, I think, might be Julian. I think, yeah. I would agree with that. But... Jordy, I just feel like, you know, I've always poo-pooed Jordy. Like, he was given way too much, way too early. And you could say that about all three of them, perhaps. But I feel like now Jordy's kind of going, okay, I'm settled. I've been married for a couple of years. He's probably got kids on the way. Like, it's kind of like he's looking to Joel and Kelly and Mick and going, if I'm in that group, I have to win a world title. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're Taj Burrow. Interestingly, um, Kaloe just got engaged on Christmas uh, and Julian's getting married this year. So I, I've mentioned this on the show in the past. I think that there is some sort of correlation between your kind of your love life and your marriage versus winning world titles. I don't know that you could do both things very successfully. Um, you need stability, don't you? Well, and focus. I think stability is helpful, but you also need a lack of distraction. You know, right. and I feel like Kelly Slater. He just abandoned a lot of those pursuits so that he could focus on winning world titles. And he did that very successfully for a long time. I agree with that. Yeah, you know. It, stability, focus. Yeah, but well, I think stability could be misconstrued. Like a wife provides stability for you. Exactly. I'm down, I'm fine with That's why I say no. like once you've been married for two years, like yeah, now okay. you're stable. Got it. You know, it's not like, oh, shit, she likes to go to Costco on Wednesdays. Who knew, you know? But yeah, but but – the problem is that when these guys are hitting their peak potential as athletes and competitors is also when they're trying to get married and have kids. So those things are in conflict where it's like if you could just either put off getting married and having kids for a few years or do it. Well, Mick and Joel got married, got had kids. Things stabilized more or less. I know Mick was a little rocky maybe, but they won titles with kids being married because they, they were settled down. You're right. Joel did it after settled it settled down, and when his family was traveling with him on tour, like that was another thing. So you're not worried about them at home thinking, "Oh, I got to rush out of this event and get back to the wife because she's bugging me." Like she was with him, and the kids were with him, you know. So that makes it a lot easier. But you really can't afford to do that unless you're on that top tier of athlete. Um, these three guys that you mentioned, 
I think Jordy has the most ability out of any of them. Not, I think he has the most instability mentally because you're right, too much too soon. But also, he's just such a freakish talent that like he's never had to rely on mental stability. But I do think that freakish talent is on a level that's beyond Julian and Kaloe. Like when Jordy's on his game, it's like nothing we've ever seen. And I think it has to do with him being six foot two and 190 pounds or 200 pounds. I agree. So like he untap, he unlocks a dimension of surfing that we've never really seen before. Like we've had power surfers before, but his flair and ability to like throw the tail and do airs is right up there with Felipe Toledo. Yeah. Except he's 30 pounds heavier than at least yeah so he can do it on crazier waves when you see the free surf footage coming out of hawaii of him it's mind-boggling one turn at rockies you're just like what in the world so if he can harness that he really is the next level i guess when we look at those three the three greatest competitive surfers to not win a world title we have to say which of them has the adriano de souza factor which Mm -hmm. one of them can buckle down and mentally go I'm doing whatever it takes. Which yeah. one's strongest mentally? And I don't think I know any of them well enough to really say with any sort of authority. But my gut feeling is that it it's either Julian or Kolohe, and the Jordy's got the least amount of that. But he makes up for it in that raw talent. Yeah, but... I'm, I agree with you. I'm talking it about who's going to grind through blown yeah. out second round Rio, you know? Well, I think you're right that Julian is the answer because we've seen him do it in small uh, spurts. Like we seen, saw him do it last year at Pipe Masters. Not last year. Maybe it was the year before against uh, Gabriel Medina when he won the Pipe Masters. You know, like he's able to focus that energy for a period of time, but being able to do it through the entire season is going to be what's required to get the world title. Um, How many Brazilians does it take to make a Brazilian storm? Eight. Then what we really have is a Brazilian fog. Yeah. It's got downgraded. The top 20, there's only five Brazilians in the top 20. Yeah. There's six Americans, yeah. seven Australians. Mm-hmm. What happened to the Brazilian storm? It got downgraded, dude. Miggy's falling Fog. off. Like Miggy got on the rookie. Miggy became a rookie on tour with guys who have now won world titles. You know what I mean? So he's definitely not. Alejo got bumped off. Like a lot of that storm got bumped off. By the way, um, the three guys that you were just talking about, Kaloe, Jordy, and uh, Julian are all included on the rich list this year. The top 10 richest pro surfers are highest paid pro surfers. Stab does what's called the Stab Rich List. Yes. Have you seen it? No. Do Sounds interesting. Yes. Can you guess who the top 10 is? Um, yeah. Number one's John John. Absolutely. I think the top five are predictable. <clears throat> are they all competitive surfers or is it just pro surfers? Like, are there some free surfers on the list? They're all competitive. Okay. Um, the top five is predictable. The bottom five is really where it's more interesting. So I'll ramble off the top five, and then we'll discuss the bottom five. First of all, Kelly is not included on the list because his financials are a little bit harder to determine. So you know? he's number one. <laughs> he, he probably is. For I'm, all I'm saying he's got to be number one. And if he's not in terms of what he earned in 2016, his he probably assets. is in terms it's of probably assets. probably his assets. Net worth. Yeah. You know? So anyways, high, this is their yearly salary that we're basing these This is all on. just salary, endorsements and salary? Or? Endorsements and contest winnings. Okay. So earnings for 2016. Okay. John John Florence, 6.1 mil. Gabriel Medina, 5.5 mil. Jordy Smith, 3 mil. 
or Mick Fanning, believe it or not, is number four on the list with $2.8 million. So Mick Fanning's interesting because he actually didn't surf on the tour. He surfed a couple of events. So he gets a big salary from Rip, he, Rip Curl. He's the highest paid athlete from Rip Curl, even yeah. higher than Gabriel Medina. Yeah. Um, but it's he's a three-time world champ. You know? Well, he's like, Australian. Rip Curl's Australian. I mean, Rip Curl's claw. Claw's going to make sure that an Australian's first no matter but, what. But rightfully so, because by the way, three world titles. Exactly. That's nothing to sneeze. No, no, at. I he deserves it. I'm yeah. not doubting that at and, all. And the um the whole shark attack thing last year, that added a lot of focus to him. Like so he he garners a lot of attention. Kaloian Dino is number five on the list with two point six million. Julian Wilson, number six, two point three million. The final four. Okay, let me guess 10. the top the final four. Yeah. Is Michelle Perez in there? No. Um I guess Philippe Toledo. You're absolutely right. Number six or number six, yeah, uh, seven. Felipe Toledo. Josh Kerr? No. Josh is no longer on Rusty, by the way. Oh, really? Yep. I just thought I saw them make a bunch of guns for him on yeah, Instagram. They did. They did. He's no longer sponsored by them. I think he's still getting boards from them, but the sponsor contract is done. Oh. So they're not paying him anymore. Um, Parco. Nope. Wilkinson? Nope. These are competitive surfers? The bottom three. Stephanie Gilmore. Oh, girls. Women? I didn't. What? I didn't <laughs> define whether this was men or women. I we were talking about. <laughs> I just said the top surfers. Okay. The well, highest paid surfers. Good for her. Stephanie Gilmore is making $1.4 million. Lady Diana of surfing. I love her. Carissa Moore, $1.12 million. I heard Steph Gilmore does not fart. By the way, really? Yeah, I wouldn't expect it. She's to. not. A, she doesn't fart. She's no. biologically perfect. I agree. Uh, the number ten ranked, yes, highest paid surfer. You'll never guess it. Jack Freestone. <laughs> that is an abomination. One million, Billabong. One they must dollars. be his number one guy. Well, well, no, Parkas their number one. No, but going into this season, he was pinned as the number one guy. Like he's like, this is the new coming of Parka. Like he's going to be our guy to like vie for a world title. Little did they know. He barely re-qualified. Who like, do they know? He's Jack Freestone. <laughs> They're like, we're going to get Alana bunched into We're going to get like, yeah. we're going to get a bunch of Rip Curl like fade off off of this. You know, we're going to yeah. get. Well, so Jack, Jack, Jack really didn't deliver on his potential as a competitive surfer, but Jack, he, Jack. Made, he made the final against <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, he did. John John in Brazil. Yep. So like he had moments of brilliance and he's a brilliant free surfer, Whatever. whether or not he... Fulfills his potential as a competitive surfer. Everybody's a brilliant to be free seen. surfer. But th- that was uh, Billabong's big bet when they renegotiated going into the year. Brilliant free surfer is the name of my new band. <laughs> You're not going to live up to your potential in that. <laughs> we, do, we do covers of... <laughs> we do Karen Carpenter covers. Covers of um, our favorite surf uh, film soundtracks. I've got some highlights of 2016. Are you interested? I am. They're competitive highlights. Okay, I'm not sure if I am. Give me the first couple, and then I'll determine whether I'm interested. Well, competitive. One of the competitive highlights has to be Gabe Medina's aerial he did in Brazil. Was that Brazil where he did that crazy mm, ass? Good question. I don't remember where the that backside. got lost. That got kind of lost in the shuffle. You're talking about the backside one. Yeah, yeah. That was pretty mind blowing. Yeah, it didn't seem like he got a lot of play. The, I dude, mean, even we're the f- overloaded with stimulation nowadays. Plus the stuff that um, the kid from Maui that is doing. Maui layer. Yeah, that. The backside double. Yeah. yeah. But competitively, that's pretty insane, right? John John won the Eddie this year, didn't he? Yep. That's a pretty big highlight competitively. Huge highlight. 
Wilco's back-to-back shockers, and that's kind of a competitive highlight. <laughs> the funny thing is we're calling him a shocker, but he won the event, and that's the shocker. Right. Usually a shocker is somebody like has a horrible heat. No. But him, the shocker, is shocker. doing good. He won. <laughs> he won. What's even more of a shocker is he won bells. The next, yeah, you know, like, I know. That's the ultimate shocker. Like He, he must have been hungover. <laughs> um, and then... Mick Fanning coming to Jay Bay off the tour after the shark incident and winning Jay Bay. That's a pretty big highlight, I think, Huge competitively, highlight. right? Huge highlight. Yeah. I don't I know agree. if Kelly's went. Oh, and your chop hop hairdo. That's one of my you highlights. You, I know you just Instagrammed me holding up those bills. I Did you hashtag the chop hop? No, I should have. Don't do it now. Do it later. I need right. your full attention okay. to listen to me. Uh, a couple of highlights of 2016 at Pipeline during lay days of the event. Kelly Slater. And his backdoor barrel to alley-oop. And then John John's alley-oop that same day at Off the Wall. Holy crap, dude. It's amazing how those guys know that everyone's watching. And in a weird way, they sort of are setting the tone for the judges. Even in their free free surfs. You know, they're like, dude, this is what's doable out here. So make sure you keep the scale where it needs to be. Because John John and I are going to go Richter. Well, everybody was out there on on that day. It was stormy conditions. Guys were just getting like... Like 20 duck dives to the head, you know, um, barely getting into waves, barely just like sneaking off onto the shoulder, trying to get a little cover up on the shoulder. John, John and Kelly go out there and freaking dominate. Yeah. So it, it really shows you, aside from the competitive arena and who can get two eights in a heat, it shows you who the most, the best surfers in the world are going out there into crazy conditions and doing stuff like that. I mean, John, John's wave. It was a gnarly overhead, off the wall, closeout. Well, like the section that he did it on was gnarly. That's and, isn't that the alley oop of the year or the alley oop oh, of the century or something? For like, sure, the it gnarliest, is, the highest ever. For sure, it is. Yeah, no question about it. And it's ca- captured from multiple angles. When you think about, two, he almost seemed surprised when he landed it. Well, he there's like a little it so buttery too. And what I was thinking is, when you're that high in the air. Imagine how much of the wave changes from when you took off. So like you and I, if we do a floater, like we can see what's happening and anticipate it because it's all within a, a second or two that it changes. I don't do floaters. Okay. Well, <laughs> that's my – the equivalent of John John doing an alley-oop for me is a floater. Like, I prefer the term rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. But it's like – so when John John took off into yeah. the air – the wave changed so much underneath him. You can't anticipate the landing when you're taking off. You have to get up there, look down, and see what's happening and then make an adjustment. Like, that's crazy, you know? I know. He almost goes blind faith. He just throws he it up there and whatever happens, happens on the landing. I have a feeling he's making those adjustments in the air, though. That's what. How much time does he have to think up there? That would just ruin me. I'd be like, uh, I'd be, you know, I'd be off to food land figuring out what <laughs> I'm going to buy from the haagen aisle. Well, that's what makes that air unique to me is that he had so much time to make those adjustments and he had to, you know? So um, that really blew my mind. And I thought Peter King did a great job of capturing it and he got the before and after interviews with John John and he recorded all the duck dives because part of that story was John John could have paddled out down the beach in a safe zone to get out to off the wall but instead he paddled straight out and ducked over 15 waves and the other guys were getting blown in and he just like kept charging through and then spun and got that wave after 15 duck dives well I mean it was much like that for that whole waiting period right it was just this north swell and you know only back door and crappy winds and and so they just made the best with what they could do yeah well christmas day went off 
the charts at Pipeline. It did. Before we go there, I want to read an email, if I may. David and Scott, love the podcast. I just made my first-time donation. I really enjoy listening to your commentary and honest opinions. A while back, both of you were speculating on how President-elect Donald Trump might impact the surf community. One of the many negative possibilities I am dreading is the potential of opening up the California coastline to new offshore drilling. I would hate to see the coastline dotted with offshore oil rigs, bring the possibility of oil leaks and spills, effectively killing the ocean environment and the ocean industry. Not to mention the last thing I want to be staring at while I'm enjoying the waves is an oil rig. Governor Jerry Brown is asking President Obama to put a permanent ban on new offshore drilling in California. And I would encourage all Californians to write their governor, legislative representatives, and president to say that you support the governor's request. Below is an article referencing Governor Brown's request, and he sent a link to a PBS story about this. And so I'll put that, and I'm sure you'll put that on your site. So you can find that link. But um, great. And that's by Reg, our our listener, Reg. And a great... Uh, great insight. You know, I never really thought about that. I could see Trump doing something crazy like that. And I could see, by the way, if California is ever going to secede from the union, that would be when it would happen. Like yeah. California would go nutso. Yeah. We would lose our shit. Yeah. So I anticipate Trump doing that soon just because it seems like it's right in his playbook. Well, he's done plenty of similar things. Same right. past, so. You voted for Trump. I know you did. No. um so christmas day pipe yes so that's my must-see moment oh is it okay cool so i mean it was 10 to 12 feet perfect conditions and um mason ho and jamie o'brien got the two waves of the day right no big surprise there right mason's is bigger and more perfect jamie's he takes off right under the ledge and it's deeper um i thought more impressive the way that he surfed it. Mason rides. Well, they're just different. They are. They're just different. See, I like Mason's and I'm not, I mean, Jamie's is just incredible. Jamie. But the thing that I like about Mason's and it's sort of me reminiscing a little bit or getting a little bit teary eyed about it is that Mason's looked like his dad, Michael Ho. Like he was Mm -hmm. channeling Michael Ho from second reef with the longer board, the, you know, the drop in at second, setting the line and then going way behind the back door to drive through the left hand barrel. Yeah. And yeah, it's not the butt drag stall, super critical turn in the barrel, you know, adjust your rail line in the barrel type of thing that Jamie or a lot of guys do nowadays. But it certainly harkened back to Mike Ho, which I thought was kind of neat. And maybe I'm just showing my age. No, I agree with you. Like, seeing a perfect wave being ridden perfectly is fantastic, you know, whereas Jamie's on the other hand, there's an element of surprise. Um, and he wrote it perfectly, but it isn't. Yeah, I agree. Both things are amazing. By the way, Michael Ho got a super sick one too. um, lost, put it on their Instagram. They have like a few different Instagrams, lost surfboards, lost clothing or whatever. One of those has it. Maybe they all do, but it was a closeout and he just packed the thing. Like he got up and like pumped down the line, and then the thing, you could tell it was going to close out, and he stood tall, no hand grab, just like stood super tall and just packed the close out. It was pretty sick. Gnarly. Yeah. That's heavy. That guy is – who was I talking to? Maybe it was you. We were talking yeah. about the greatest we were. old surfer. Yeah, and it's Mike Huff. Yeah, greatest shortboard yeah. surfer. Um, the Surfline Cam Rewind at mm-hmm. Pipeline that day. Yeah. 
They have it on YouTube. If you go to the Surfline YouTube page, okay. you can see the, and they've condensed it to just great rides. So it's like nice. maybe, I don't know, 10 minutes long or maybe longer, but, but it's, you're not seeing just a bunch of, you know, downtime. Right. And so, yeah, congrats to the Surfline cam. That's one of my must-see moments, oh, that okay. Surfline cam rewind of Christmas Day at Pipeline. I didn't see that. I'll check it out. Yeah. Um, this is not a must-see moment, but from that same day, a friend sent me this YouTube link of Kelly Slater surfing Aukai, and it it was Christmas Day, and I don't know why he wasn't out at Pipe. Maybe he was, he was. earlier. There's, there's okay. footage of him. Yeah, he was out. But Well, this, this YouTube clip is him surfing Aukai. <clears throat> And it has 70,000 views somehow, which is a lot. Cause, but what I loved about this clip is it's r- pretty much just raw footage. Like, There's cuts in it. It runs three minutes long, but there's no music. It's not the highlights. It shows him paddling for waves and not catching them. It shows... like a, a, <laughs> That's what's gotten our attention these it, days. We're well, so... It's we're funny. We're so like... Yeah, we're, there's so much good stuff that we're like, hey, we'd like to see him not catch waves. It, it's funny. It showed... It made it. It was like really rad. It was an insight into just like, oh, he's a regular surfer. Not not a regular surfer, but he um, he misses waves too. And like he does what you did the other day, where he actually stands up on a wave, sees that somebody's deeper, and then kicks out of it. You know, and it's like, oh, that was rad to see. I mean, that guy would have been thrilled to surf the wave with Kelly, so Kelly could have gone on it if he wanted to. <laughs> right. um, but it was just a really rad – I'm going to post the video on surfsplendorpodcast.com. It was just a really rad insight into just a average session for Kelly Slater. Where he did bogs, you see that? He bogs a couple rails. It's on YouTube. I'll send it to you. Yeah. Um, so I, I just really enjoyed that for in some weird way, like you said, where it wasn't the highlights. It was not only not the A clips. It was like B minus or C clips. Like I don't think Kelly is psyched that that video exists of him online, but – I loved it. You know, it was kind of one of the more enjoyable things that I watched. Um, well, I have another musty moment. There's sort of been a lot, not a lot, but it's been the waves have been so bad here. The last month has it been? The last week's been decent, but yeah, yeah. I guess the last week has been okay. But yeah, the month prior. Anyway, there's been a lot of scouring YouTube for stuff, but um, there's a pretty cool uh, Nazare. Is it Nazare? Mm-hmm. Nazare challenge the. WSL's Big Wave World Tour, the Nazare Challenge. Did we even talk about this event? No, we're supposed to, right? But um, anyway, there's a there's a video clip out there on Vimeo. It's on boardroomshow.com right now. I put it up yesterday. Of a lot of the beatdowns, a lot of the successful rides too. But I mean, just it really shows you how how unruly that place is. It's so, just it's just it's just mean. So the Big Wave World Tour ran their first event at Nazare this uh the inaugural a, week, a right. week ago or so and it was massive and it's a paddling event and it's a beach break. So it's really chaotic out there. I'm going to uh Jamie Mitchell won the event. Right. Not to bury the lead. Um with really spectacular surfing like he took off on some insane waves, made some insane drops. So I'm going to read just a short bit that Jed Smith wrote on Stab. Um about the event, he said. Chaz or Jed? Who's Jed Smith? Who's Jed Smith? Right Jed now? Smith. He has a competing podcast to ours, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Jed. Sorry, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know. He's a writer. Surf. I listen to the Jeffersonian Hour. <laughs> I don't listen to surf podcasts. Uh, um, so, quote: While not the heaviest wave in the world in terms of rideability, what Nazare lacks 
in that department and makes up for with sheer chaos in the lineup. While reef breaks offer a natural channel in which to escape, Nazare is a beach break subject to the full randomness and raw energy of the tremendous storm swells required to run in events like this. The contest, which was won by Jamie Mitchell, made for compulsive viewing with huge sketchy drops, potentially fatal near misses, and utter carnage on all fronts. Former World Tour surfer and big wave barrel specialist Damien Hobgood was nearly killed after a jet ski landed on him while attempting to make it out from shore for the start of his semifinals. His driver and fellow big wave surfer Garrett McNamara was forced to abandon ship at the crest of a 10-foot teepee with Damo still on the back of it. The Floridian barely had time to react before he was thrown off and hit with what he believes to be the 700-pound weight of the jet ski. Gnarly. Yeah, I didn't even know that. There's footage of it. That's like a major story. Yeah, he totally ends up, he's going up the face of the I wave. I think I saw this on ski. this video. Yeah. The thing like launches off the Yeah, of the I wave. saw this. He's falling off of it and the thing lands on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. This is on that video. And so. the start of his semifinal heat. It was Great way to start your heat. So, yeah. So, I mean, this event, that, that Jed piece kind of... Uh, sets the tone for the scene but it's just this crazy beach break with 60 foot peaks that are pretty close to shore and pretty close to that cliff it's lefts and rights the jet skis um can't really rescue i mean they are rescuing some people but there's situations that people get into that are unrescuable you know so it adds a lot more chaos and and fear than like the jaws event which is a perfect wave you know so um really interesting spectacular event uh freezing cold water too so i mean guys are in four threes with booties and hoods so really really spectacular event to watch uh my must-see moment though scott is a brand new series that stab magazine just introduced called culture shifters and they did episode one on a guy named scott tratner who is facebook's creative director which is a pretty high power position. Yeah. And he's a surfer. And so he's, it's, you know, everybody's a, little, a surfer. <laughs> it's, a five, it's a five minute profile piece. Just a wave storm away from being a surfer. <laughs> <laughs> it's a five minute profile piece on um, this guy and how surfing has been a part of his life as he's gone through these pretty important um, careers. Good like, for him. He, he was involved in Apple mm-hmm. um, and the creative campaign. Um, the marketing campaign to launch the iPhone, you know? Wow. So like really he's been an important dude at these hugely influential companies. And so based on his success with Apple, Facebook gave him the creative director position and he's been involved with them for the last couple of years. So it was really cool. I, you know, I'm just interested in successful people and how they do what they do yeah. and trying to kind of improve my productivity and efficiency in my life and my work. And, yeah. um, and I think, you know, long tea. Surf, that does help. <laughs> Surfing plays an important role in his world and my world. And so it's interesting to kind of just hear from him for a little bit. So I really appreciate Stab finding him. How old is this gentleman? Story. Not that old. I'm going to say early 40s. Right. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, well, good that was for a him. cool piece. I also have a Duke before we sign off. Um, All right. I see Beach Grit here. Wrote a thing on the Bunker Spreckles movie. Matt Warshaw wrote Matt it. Matt right? Warshaw was... Yeah, did you yeah. see that? I saw it. I didn't read it yet. He basically kind of said what we said, or what I said, which is, I hope they go beyond, isn't yeah. he cool with money, guns, and drugs? Like, that's just so cliche. And they basically said, yeah, tr- 
Warshaw's words are a train wreck still a train wreck which is entertaining viewing uh, I mean uh, unless you, only if you haven't seen a lot of train wrecks I wonder um, did he see it because they they premiered it on the North Shore a week did ago you, here's the Hollywood Reporter wrote here's the here's the film review from the Hollywood Reporter which I'm not even sure I understand this but he says Hollywood Reporter reviewer says Masuda, the guy who made the film, Masuda seldom penetrates Spreckle's dazzling levels of artifice and reinvention in a way that yields much psychological or sociological insight. Instead, retreating into repetitive waves of, oh, gee, wow, hagiography. Okay. Hagiography? I'm sure I didn't say that right. Hagiography? I'm not sure. Hagiography? I'm not sure what the word is. I have no idea what the word means. Okay. Obviously, I can't even pronounce it. Um, I'll look it up. Anyway, um, I'm looking forward to seeing the movie still, but um, like I said earlier, I was hoping that we would get something more than, isn't this guy cool? Well, apparently it isn't based on that Hollywood Reporter quote, right? Sounds Mm -hmm. like it doesn't really. Uh, So that word... Hagiography. Hagiography. Okay. Yeah, I've never even seen that word, actually. It's uh, adultery writing about another person, idealizing a subject, the writing of the lives of saints. Hmm. So he was using it sort of in a derogatory term, like you're, you're idolizing this guy and he doesn't deserve it. Yeah. Interesting. I watched, um, speaking of that exact subject, I watched a documentary on the band Oasis. Oh, no. Did you see it? I'm, I for, I didn't, but for some reason I'm not a fan, and I think it's because I've heard some quotes from the guy, like that they're better than the Beatles or something. Yeah. I think So I think it's called Oasis Supersonic. It's on Amazon Prime. If you want to watch it for free, you could stream it there. Um, geez, Louise, those guys are egomaniacal. <laughs> like, it is crazy. Um, I grew up listening to them, you know, and like, I liked some of their hits, but I didn't realize that they were such a, um, cultural, you know, they were so important and especially in the UK, like they were the biggest band since the Beatles. And a lot of people still feel that way. Um, which I don't know. I think of you two and like other band Coldplay, even like being bigger than, Oasis, but apparently they were huge. And so this doc, I think Coldplay and Oasis are the same band. No. <laughs> that's Cold, the way I feel about both of those Cold, bands. Well, that's funny, but Coldplay is um, bubblegum compared to Oasis is like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know, like Oasis, I mean, what was compelling for me about the documentary- Oasis has a couple of cool songs, I got to admit. For sure. But what was compelling to me about the documentary is it's these two brothers that were in the band, right, who were always feuding. And I knew that about them, but this really gets into it. And there's tons of home video footage of them fighting and literally fist fighting. And yeah. One hits the guy, the other one in the head with a baseball bat and sends him to the hospital in one of the fights during a recording session. Nice. So, like, the entire documentary is really just a character study on these two brothers and their relationship. And one is um, a quiet, retrospective songwriter, and the other one is a brash frontman singer and how those two personalities clash, you know? And so the introspective songwriter always wishes that he looked as cool in clothing as that dude does and sunglasses but the dude who looks cool always wishes that he had the talent that that dude does and so they're all oh it, that's fascinating it is so there's yeah. a lot of insecurity from the front man both insecurity from both 
And the know? guy got hit with a baseball bat? Yeah. Over the head? Yeah. Oh, that's nitpicking. <laughs> that's nitpicking, isn't it? Well, that's a few baseball bats <laughs> across the head. Um, and so, and they're exhibiting a lot of diva behavior. And by the way, tremendous amount of drug usage, you know, like yeah. snorting crystal meth on stage at the Whiskey A Go Go, like in their first time playing LA, <laughs> like off the amplifier. So yeah. um, it was. Uh, Again, interesting from a character study standpoint. The music, I'm I'm still not sure why they were as huge as they were, but um, I think they were a lot bigger in England than they, they were, were here. Yeah, and I know that I was put off by him because I heard the guy I think on Howard Stern or somewhere say something about, or I heard Paul McCartney talking about Oasis, the front man saying that they're bigger than the Beatles, mm-hmm. and I think that put off Paul McCartney a little bit. And I and tend to side with Paul McCartney. I do too. And then, oh, I completely do. But after watching this, I realized that was part of their persona. Right. Like, I'm not who sure that Liam is. even like feels that way. I think he's just going to play that role. Yeah. They realized early on that like you could fake it till you make it and they're going to do it. You know? So. Don't they have that song? After all, maybe it's going to be to maybe something like that. You just can find two of their songs actually uh-huh. maybe you're going to be the one that saves me yeah and after all you're my wonder wall oh wonder wall yeah, yeah yeah i guess yeah. two songs into one that says a lot of <laughs> champagne supernova was one of their big hits yeah um but yeah they had some good ones all right um so well that's all i got i'm gonna give you my duke oh yeah it's so my Duke of the Week. It, you know, like I feel like I should have come up with a Duke of the Year, really. This is That's a, a retrospective good point. show. Think quickly. No, I'm going to give you my Duke of the Week. John John's your Duke of the Year. I mean, that's, that's too obvious. That's a mail-in, huh? It's too obvious. Mailed it in. Duke of the Week. Yeah. Damien Hobgood. All right. Damo. Do you know why? Because his name's Damo? <laughs> I think I, I'm picking Damo. This kind of is a 2016 re- reflection, actually. Damo because he's been an unsung hero this year. He got booted off tour, and you're gonna and you you think, oh, I'm not here from a lot of the people that get booted off tour. Damo quietly has put in some of the most impressive performances. Nazare, most recently. Um, do you remember the massive tube that he got at Cloudbreak? Yeah. It was the Big Wave World Tour as a nominee for the best wave of the year. Yeah. Dude, it is insane. I'm gonna post a photo. Fo- uh, um, video of it on surfsplendorpodcast.com so you can watch it. It got overlooked somehow. Even during that swell, there were other waves that kind of got more attention. This wave is absolutely insane. He threads. I mean, the way that somebody threads like a, a head high barrel, like dodging and weaving and adjusting and foam ball riding. But the thing is triple overhead and he's riding like a seven foot six board, you know, it's crazy. Then he got at the beginning of the year, massive ocean beach uh, session with Josh Kerr. That was like perfect ocean beach, but perfect ocean beach is very difficult to surf and it's difficult to paddle. And he was getting shacked out there, dominating it, you know, like manhandling giant. Well, that's rig. a good call. He, I, you and I have spoken about Damien Hobgood as his, you know, all these pro surfers have to have like a, an act two or an act three in their careers. And Damo's next act is obviously making a, an impact on the big wave world tour and the big wave world scene. And I wouldn't be surprised, would not surprise me if next year or the year after that, he's the big wave world champion because he's got yeah. the competitive savvy. Exactly. He's got all the skill and he's that guy that we talked about where it's time for 
guys with competitive savvy to knock out the underground charger guy who's just out there because it's all about the brotherhood. Well, those days are over. Mm-hmm. Now it's time. There's money involved. Let's get some real competitors in this Big Wave World Tour. Yeah, he's ranked 17th right now on the Big Wave World Tour, um, but I don't think that's reflective. I don't think he did a lot of the events. It looks like he did three events, actually, out of the five. The Big Wave World Tour, no, it's, not, it's not a calendar year tour, so it's hard to figure yeah. out. Like, did it end? Did it just start? Are we in the middle of it? Who knows? Right. Yeah, so... I agree, though. Like, I think Damo's second act will actually eclipse his first act because can you remember much of what he did on the world tour? Not really. Yeah, you know he, what I mean? No, you're right. And he what won you do at, remember? I think he won it. He might have won in France once, or no, I think he, he won didn't. at Mundaka or something. Or I think maybe like what you even remember about him, it might have actually been CJ. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he was a world champion in 2001. Who knew? For many years, they were the same guy. Which is now they've. I've diverted. surfed with both of them. They're both super cool. Yeah. Damien's a really nice guy, yeah. and he's a very giving guy in the water, and he's a lot of fun to surf with. Not that CJ isn't. Damien's a really cool guy. Now their identities have diverged, though, because... They really have. CJ's kind of off the grid. He's sales repping for freaking, I think, Salty Crew or something in Florida, or Smith or really? something. Yeah, he is, literally. All right. Well, so, got to feed the kids. Yeah, exactly. I don't blame him. Um, but Damo, on the other hand, I f- still live in the dream. Not only that, uh, it is his second career or act I, two. second phase act two. But I think he's putting in more memorable performances in act two than he ever did in act one. He's so, a great surfer. I'm a huge fan. I'm Damo, too. this is my opportunity to honor you and what you accomplished quietly in 2016. And then also, Fox completely eliminated their surf team, which he was a part of. So where do, what does this look like for 2017? Less money, less salary anyways. How is he going to do it? I'm curious to watch. Damo? Somebody would be wise to pick him up as a big wave. Maybe somebody like Hurley or something. Somebody with some money. You know, but why and who? and I know. I don't know know if there's any ROI involved there. Like there's no return on investment. Is there return on investment if you sponsor a big wave world tour surfer? We've had this conversation a lot. It's an ongoing conversation and I am unconvinced. Who's the the champion big wave? Is it? Twiggy. Twiggy. Does he he might be marketable in South Africa? I have no idea. I think, you know, Twiggy it would be a um In South Africa, Patagonia. like by Ford or something. Patago- yeah, yeah, like Toyota, Range Rover, something like that. Like the the South African dealership group yeah. sponsors yeah, yeah. him or so you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Or like a cereal a South African cereal company. Yeah. I think he was he was on Billabong a long time ago and then got the transfer over to Visla with Paul Nade like thing, but um, he's not on Vistla anymore. Yeah. So at any rate, Scott, it's been a wonderful 2016. You have no kook, huh? Um, It has been a wonderful, this is the, the year of the chop hop hairdo, David. I mean, dude, somebody commented on Instagram. Did you see it? No. Fiasco surf commented on your Instagram and said, you should have let David keep 20 bucks to fix the chop. (laughs) (laughs) Very well put my friend. Brutal. Brutal. (laughs) What do you think I should go? Should I, Brand new hairstyle, 2017. What should I do, dude? Dude, don't leave a good thing. Right, Keep right. it going, you know? All right, I'm going to ride this. This is my 15 minutes, and I'm soaking it. <laughs> oh, all right, my. so we're going to surf together January 1st. Yes. Let it be known. We'll drink tea. We will surf. You will come to my house. You will meet my wife. You know my I've wife. Been to your yeah. house, dude. Come on. That's right. All right, January 1st, we're going to surf. Cannot wait. Okay, until next time. 
What a great 2016. Thanks to all of our listeners. We look forward to getting your donations on our website. You can donate and keep this podcast moving forward. Thanks so much from David, from Scott, to you and yours. I don't know what I'm saying, David. Aloha. Adios and aloha. Thanks for listening to this, our third year of Surf Splendor. It has been a rad ride. You can find every single past episode of Surf Splendor, all the music we play, like this track by Bibio, all the videos we've ever discussed, every single photo and article we've referenced, all on surfsplendorpodcast.com. You can also leave a comment about today's show. I hope that your 2016 ended well. I'll look forward to reconnecting with you in 2017. This is David Scales for Surf Splendor, wishing you the happiest new year ever. Hope that you do more of whatever it is that you do. Hope that you sell more of whatever it is that you sell. Hope that you catch more waves than you have in any other year. Do whatever makes you happy. Be kind, be grateful, and shred on.